Good morning and welcome to this edition of Healing Moment with Martha. I'm excited that on today we get to revisit my dear friend Skip Stokes. He is a creative kind of guy. Um, he is a film director and from Nashville, Tennessee. I interviewed Skip a few months ago for those of you who have not heard the first session on this. Um, he talked about his own story. Um, how he discovered in a romantic kind of way that he was an addict um, to um, uh, have an addiction problem with uh, alcohol. He actually submitted the test and he said, you know, for someone with test anxiety, I, I, I passed with flying colors. And so I love a sense of humor, his creativity. But today we are going to be um, talking about the documentary that he felt led make called Shame on Us. And with that, uh, I'm going to bring in uh, my friend Skip Stokes, and thank you again, Skip, for uh, joining us this morning. Well, thanks for having me. I'm really appreciative of any uh, any conversation I can have on this topic. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. It really is a privilege, and I think it's uh, I feel like a duty, if that makes any sense, to promote this film because, um, but it's also responsibility because as we've talked. Um, and you mentioned the, the conversation has to change around addiction. So if you would um, just do a little recap, about a minute and a half, two minutes, whatever, of why the film, Shame on Us, and, and not the other subjects of uh, addiction. And we'll yeah. talk about that. Yeah, so I mean, the, the, the long and the short of it is, um, you know, I, our family lost someone. Um, just over two years ago uh, to a uh, fatal overdose. And um, I started uh, noticing fairly quickly that when, uh, when I mentioned that uh, a family member had passed, people were filled with compassion. And then when I would, uh, when they would do their follow-up question of how did they, how did they die? And I would answer that. I, I, I felt like I could almost see something shift in their mind. And they were recalibrating their opinions and their ass assessment of this human being. And, uh, you know, Nate was a, uh, he was a uh, grab life by the throat and shake every ounce of everything out of it in the best ways possible. And so for, 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 for me to see in real time people perceiving him differently, it really affected me. So I called our friend David Hampton and asked him about it. And I, and I remember standing, I was standing right over on the other side of this uh, room. I used to have a whiteboard that took the entire wall. And uh, I said uh, to him on the phone, I said, uh, it's almost like there's a stigma associated with this, uh, with, with addiction. And, um, you know, David very lovingly, but very systematically explained to me how that is absolutely the case. So I thought I was on to something and uh, thought Absolutely. I was kind of thought I was on the trailblaze of, uh, of my life because I had discovered something that no one else knew about. Of course, then I found myself in meetings about overdose awareness and, you know, opioids in the workplace and all these different uh, settings. And everywhere I was inside of these rooms filled with grieving people, they were all saying we have to talk about the stigma associated with addiction. So I quickly realized that maybe I wasn't the trailblazer on it, but in fact, the guy that was late to the party 
Um, but what I noticed was that those conversations were very much uh, uh, applauded inside of the rooms of people that had dealt with the loss that comes from this disease, but out in the real world, nobody was talking about it. And, um, you know, I kept seeing countless documentaries come out and everybody always had their take on something or other. But nobody was talking about the stigmatizing views that society holds against people with addiction. Mm-hmm. And uh, so felt like this was something that had to be done. And um, that's what we're doing. <laughs> uh, and I would agree. I mean, there, I mean, having people in my own family who have um, dealt with addictions of some kind, whether it's alcohol or drugs or pornography or whatever, um, there's definitely, um, especially we, as you mentioned, I've seen um, that change of focus in the conversation. They find out, oh, well, you know, it's almost like it's more understandable or more excusable if it's alcohol. But if it's, you know, opiates or street drugs, then, well, he's a junkie, you know, and he got what he deserved. He knew what he's doing, blah, 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 blah. It's like the empathy goes out the window for sure, I think. Sure. Right? Um, so you started filming um, the doctor documentary and you named it Shame on Us. And I think that's a very appropriate name, honestly. Um, but so how did you go about collecting the the information or the, you know, for your um, documentary? What did you, how did you approach that? Well, yeah, great question. So a lot of it came from um, a forced imprisonment of nearly a year Um, being in the house, not allowed to go anywhere. And if you did go somewhere, you had to wear one of these things. Um, You know, it was, we, we, (laughs) we had our first fundraiser um, in a very nice home in Bell Mead. And then uh, about six hours after that fundraiser, uh, a tornado swept through Nashville. <laughs> so, so um, uh, anyone that was interested in putting some money into this here film, um, all of a sudden had a bigger catastrophe that was happening in real time. And then a couple of weeks later, um, the entire country shut down. So we weren't able to do any filming, right? So what that was, it turned out to be a really great gift because it gave me, um, I mean, what else am I going to do but study? And mm-hmm. so I uh, started doing a lot of research and uh, looking at it from a standpoint of, is this just an assumption or is this clinically valid? Um, do, we, do we have explanations and examples of stigma actually getting in the way of people finding recovery? And uh, so I spent, with my team, we spent probably six months just studying, just wow. reading and studying. Um, I was looking for it. I have a great book right here. You know, Google's a fun thing. You can uh, you can <laughs> yeah. type in the it words. You can yeah. type in the words stigma of addiction, and lo and behold, there was a collegiate course book written on it a few years ago from a couple of doctors out of Pennsylvania, and so um, bought that book and read it. Um, and uh, 
just just started reading and getting online and looking at every article and and then you start thinking about okay so when this person on television says this is there a stigmatizing view associated with that right so um looking at all of that stuff and that better set us up to be able to start doing the interviews and um in fact we uh we did our first interviews on the one-year anniversary of Nate's passing, which was really profound. Um, and then uh, we were able to start interviewing people experientially, right? So, so inside of the interview, what I'm doing is I'm asking questions based on what I know to be the clinical or the technical or the, uh, uh, the, the, the medical explanation of X, Y, and Z. And so then I'm asking those questions from another perspective to get experiential examples of that. Does that make sense? Did I dive yeah. too deep into the rabbit hole or? No, that... no, you're perfectly fine. I, I okay. wanted you to go there I, because otherwise I don't think our viewers will understand the importance of this film. I really yeah. don't. I, because well, they're and... not... Yeah. Yeah. And I, I describe documentary work as the integrity of manipulation. Right. So so it, it is manipulative um, because I'm trying to draw out of a person the truth. I'm trying to draw out what yeah. they need to be saying. Um, but I have to manipulate that circumstance in order to get to the truth and then use that integral part of me to edit it in such a way where I'm not putting words in their mouths. And so oftentimes you have to kind of, you know where they're going, but you also know that they're not saying it in a way that's really going to capture it. Yeah. So you have to, with integrity, you have to manipulate the conversation in a certain direction to get it exactly right. Not leading the witness, but getting the honest right. answer. Right. And I, I call that intelligent investigative journalism. Okay. Because that's truly what that is. Um, uh, because a lot of times, you know, and just the, what little bit I do, I don't always have the ability to articulate what I really know. And so I think most people aren't able to. Uh, so you do, I, I know you're quite the conversationist and you have quite the vocabulary. So I know you were able to do that with great integrity. Um, so when you, so you dove in for six months, you and your team, um, what would you say was the largest or largest area of stigma uh, attached to addiction? In other words, did it depend on what their addiction was or did it the color uh, what their ethnic background or did it matter? Oh, it's all over the map. Um, it's every single one of those things. And, and it's, and it's even further than that. I mean, the, the absolutely the color of a person's skin does play a part in this. There, there, there's no question, right? Um, right? And I could I could spend 45 minutes just giving examples of that. Um, uh, uh, economic status plays a huge role in this. So someone in a rural area, it doesn't matter if they're white or black, um, it's uh, it, it, uh, economic status is gonna play a huge part in whether or not we view them one way or the other, both in addiction and in recovery, I will add. Um, yeah. But it also has to do with what's the uh, what's the uh, the drug of choice, right? Mm -hmm. So um, yeah. 
you know, cocaine's the classy party drug that the rich guys uh, are uh, snorting. And then crack is the uh, devastating drug that the, uh, the poor uh, class is, uh, is uh, smoking. So, you know, there's, there's so much associated with every single one of those things, all the way to the point of, and this is the idea that was rattling around in my head all morning um, today, is um, fentanyl. Uh, I might be making some people mad here. <laughs> fentanyl allows us to make the person a victim rather than an addict. Sometimes fentanyl, if, uh, if a person uh, 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 overdoses as a result of fentanyl, uh, we as society in the non-addictive world, we're, we're able to say, well, that person's a victim. And yet if they did heroin and overdosed, well, they, they're, they're a junkie. Yeah. Never mind yeah. the fact that the same behavior brought the person to buy the fentanyl yeah. as they did the heroin. Yeah. It's interesting how what the wide usage across the board of fentanyl. And I, I'll just say this in my own little bit of research years ago, because of something that happened, I did a little bit of research of what I received in the hospital, and fentanyl was in my IV. And I was like, Wow, why, would, why the hell would they give me that, right? But um, anyway, but it is widely used. And it's interesting that um, your use of the word victim versus addiction on fentanyl, because um, we know it's, it's laced in a lot of the drugs that off the streets, is it not? I mean, I mean yeah, yeah. from what I understand, yeah. Um, you know, it seems like as a, as, as a community, that the stigma would kind of die down when you know people admit you know I need help uh, and I'm going into recovery and that would see be seen as the brave and courageous and right thing to do. Did it seem to? Um, did you see any pattern as far as why the stigma continues into recovery and versus yay that's wonderful we're we're here for you we'll walk through you with this. I mean, did you see that? Um, I posed my question correctly. No, no, no. I understand exactly what you're asking. So the question you're asking is about recovery itself, I'm guessing. And so then is there stigmatizing views inside of the recovery movement for people in recovery? Is that correct? Correct. And and and, and why and why do we still attach a stigma to recovery? You know, well, why, because because I, I mean, I believe at a basic core, I believe that it's survival of the fittest. I believe that it's our basic ego, which is not a bad thing. Um, uh, I, I, think, I think it's our, our, our constant need to, to view everything dualistically. Good, bad, tall, short, fat, skinny, big, little cold, hot. I think that's what's going on at the core of a lot of this stuff. And so if I can be the hero of my own story, then you have to be the villain. Okay. Um, and I, I know this firsthand. I did this. I, I don't know how many times I railed against people in AA meetings who would identify themselves as an addict. And, 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 and though I was correct, <laughs> though I was correct 
in saying that in an AA meeting, I'm sorry, I'm breaking the tradition right here. In a meeting, okay. uh, 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 you, in an AA meeting, you identify as an alcoholic. Otherwise, you're not in. Uh, otherwise, you shouldn't be in that meeting if it's a closed oh. meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay. And um, and yet, people would say, "Hi, my name's Bob, and I'm an addict," and and it would just infuriate me because that I can't go into an NA meeting and say I'm Skip and I'm an alcoholic. They'd all come after me, right? And yet, even though I was correct, I wasn't right because I was missing the heartbeat of the situation. And, 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 and I was holding a stigmatizing view toward people that did that instead of this. And I, and I always felt like, and if I'm really honest, I always felt like uh, they're doing something illegal. My yeah. drug of choice is to drive down yeah. the road and get it on yeah. a Sunday. Right. Yeah, so, absolutely. So, yeah. so yes, is there yeah. stigma inside of it? Yes. Now, right. can you dive absolutely. in deeper? Yeah. Can you dive in deeper on that stigma? Yes, you can, yeah. because then you dive into the medically assisted treatments, medication assisted treatment. Mm -hmm. Now, when you start talking about people that are on uh, buprenorphine uh, because of their opiate addiction, and they're under a watchful care of a physician and they're getting therapy and they're coupling that with a treatment program. That's the definition of medication assisted treatment, all three of those things. And yet there are rooms, 12 step rooms that will tell people they are not sober because they're doing that. That's a stigma, right? Yeah. But then to come back to your question about race, and, and class in relation to this with the stigma. I don't know if you know this, but a large percentage of what would be middle and upper class white people, they have the ability to get what's called buprenorphine or Suboxone. They get that from their family physician. Lower class, poor people and people of color are typically going to be giving or given um, um, methadone. Well, you can't yes. get methadone. You can't get methadone yeah. from your physician. You have to go to a methadone clinic. So now yeah. let's yeah. look at the stigmatizing views because if Johnny wants to go into his doctor on a Friday afternoon, he could be going into his doctor for any number of reasons. Yeah. So there's no stigmatizing view toward right. Johnny going in to get his Suboxone. And yet the only reason you're going to a methadone clinic is for methadone. It's the obvious, so, right. So uh, when you start yeah. laying the stigmas on top yeah. of one another, you realize yeah. that, wow, this system is crumbling with all the weight of stigma on top. And we, and we typically associate a clinic with the lesser um, you know, poverty or poor yeah. part of community. Yeah. You know, and I'll say, I've been to a clinic before, but because it was for a doctor, but because I... I didn't have the money, you know, and I, I right. didn't have the insurance and I needed it. So the clinic obviously served a purpose. But if we do, we stigmatize, you're exactly right. Oh, it's, you know, I'm going to the doctor today. And he doesn't have to reveal why. He just yeah. says, I have a doctor's appointment where she is, you know, going to the methadone clinic and getting yeah. the help that she needs. And it is, wow, what a huge spectrum there is on that. Um, and as a, I was going to ask this too, um, 
as a parent of someone that's been in recovery um, and has been sober now for, uh, I think, almost five years. And I just, I mean, we talk about, I talk about recovery amongst my friends and, uh, you know, being sober is different from quitting your addiction. Lifestyle. Lifestyle choices daily, and it's not a 30-day program. That's the difference. Um, But, you know, I was wondering in your research, how much of that stigma, um, did you see any stigma that was relative to blaming the parents for the child's addiction? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, For example, like um, the parents who drink and have a bar a bar easily accessible to teenagers or children. Did you see any stigma, I mean, uh, or blame, I guess may be a better word for, you know, towards parents who you, you should know? Absolutely. At, at all? Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. See, I mean, one of the guiding principles from this whole thing for me is, are you familiar with Dr. Tony Campolo? No, uh-uh, no. Right. Dr. Campolo was um, a theology professor. Uh, I think he's professor emeritus at uh, Doggone It. It's in Pennsylvania. Eastern, uh, Eastern Seminary, um, Eastern the- Theological Seminary in uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, Dr. Campolo, um, do yourself a favor and look up uh, Dr. Campolo. Just type in okay. Tony Campolo, Hawaii. And you will okay. have one of the most enjoyable experiences of your entire life. Um, Dr. Campolo said years ago, he said, a movement can exist without a God, but never without a devil. There always has to be an enemy to defeat. And, and I think wow. that's at the core of a lot of what's going on, especially in today's society with social media and with us feeling this sense of kill the beast, almost from um, Beauty and the Beast. It's like the mob yeah. mentality. We yeah. got to have somebody to be mad at. Right. Absolutely. Got to be somebody to gotta be angry at something. There right. is a desperation right. for justice at a level today that is, I'm not going to say unlike any other time, because I have read the Old Testament. We're still not there. <laughs> pretty right. Rough, right. You know? Um, yeah, anybody that wants to say this is the worst. There's nothing new the under the sun, right? Well, yeah, but any, anybody yeah. that wants to say this is the worst part of the world, it's like, well, I don't know. I don't see anybody bashing babies' heads against the rocks in the name of God just yet. So let's slow down on our assertion that this is the worst time ever. <laughs> but it's pretty bad. And it's pretty bad because we're all just so desperate for justice that we are um, you know, the views expressed in the following sentence are not that of everyone. It's just it's mine. But um, I, I think that we've got to blame somebody somewhere. So if we can't blame the person and we can't come up with the fact that they're making a decision to go out and wreak havoc all over the world, then we're going to blame the parents. Now, here's the flip side of that coin, though, Martha. Parents hold the stigma against themselves. It's just not your fault. It's just not your fault, right? Um, Mom and dad did what every other mom and dad did on the block, but their kid's the one that turned out to be the one that has the addiction. Well, at some point, we got to realize that there's a chemical makeup that is different inside that human being, which means we got to come back to the reality that this could very well just be a disease. 
And there isn't someone to blame. It's just the way nature works its way out. And so one of the things that we talked to one of the doctors about is, uh, and we can't dive into it in the film because good golly, we can't make this thing longer than, we can't do a Ken Burns documentary all in one fell swoop. But he talked about uh, endogenous opioid receptors that are naturally in the brain. And some people, there's studies now being done some people's brain makeup is different. It's why some people will take an opioid and feel nauseous and sick and they don't ever want to take it again and they're just done with it. And other people take an opioid for the first time and all of a sudden they're cleaning the house like they've never cleaned the house before. Is it the pill's fault? No. Is it the person's fault? No. But is there something different in the equation? Yeah, it's the endogenous opioid receptors that are in that person's brain instead of this one. So the stigma is everywhere. What we have to do is just realize that there might actually be something else going on and we should give somebody a hall pass because you brought it up at the very beginning. Sorry, I've had two cups of coffee, I'm ready to go. You brought it up at the very beginning. <laughs> you brought it up at the very beginning when you said, that alcohol seems to be a little bit more tolerable than street drugs. Yeah. Well, we had to get there because the reason that AA was so private for so long and still holds on to it is if you found out somebody was an alcoholic, they no longer worked for you. They were no longer part of society. They were yeah. an outcast. Well, we've come yeah. a long way with alcohol because yeah. now we got bikinis selling them on the TV. Right. Yeah. But, right. but, 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 we're gonna have to move that ball the same way with this. And then you also brought up at the beginning about porn addiction and things like that. Well, that's a bridge too far right now for some folks. Oh yeah, absolutely. But, yeah. Yeah. but if I can get you to understand what's going on with chemical dependency, uh, yeah. maybe I can get you there someday soon too. Yeah, right. Well, my friend, David Zaylor, who has <laughs> uh, written some books on recovery he's the director of um, operation integrity and he's been in recovery for almost 25 years and this is what he says about alcohol and the stigma attached to it or partially that drugs and alcohol are in the same class because alcohol is a drug but we have not talked about that conversation either because we don't see it as a drug we see it as oh alcohol over here and drugs are over here but in fact it truly is a type of drug because yeah. it alters our it alter it alters everything about us the way i, I when i heard first time that sentence i was like huh that's interesting and so what i'm hearing from you today is that the stigma is all over the board it definitely has to do there's nothing in that's not touched by it race uh economic levels uh, classes of people, it's, it doesn't matter because as we both know, addictions in general, it doesn't have a border. It doesn't know, don't cross this line. And so it would make sense that the stigma will be all over. But I guess the other thing that I'm learning from you today, um, and I, I am, it's not the first time, but I guess there has a tendency to be a, a blanket statement sometimes because we want answers, we want justice. You know? That's right, that's right. But I think um, what I'm seeing is that it's not just one thing that leads to a person's addictions, um, their addiction of choice. 
but there's, um, because Gabriel McKay also asked, and I'm sure you're familiar with his work, he's talked about trauma playing a part and, you know, not why the addiction, but why the pain. Because normally we're trying to deal with something that's just too much crap to deal with, whether it's a divorce or whatever and in, in our life that we just can't handle. Something's got to ease the pain a little bit. We don't say it that way, <laughs> but, but um, that ends up being the case. But that partner, what you have found now as far as the physiological actual differences in people would make total sense to me. Right. So uh, I, I appreciate all that to say, I, I honestly appreciate all the hard work you put in this film. So you finished the film. How long is the film? I have is not it? finished the film. Oh, you have not finished oh, it. My no. bad. My no, it's okay. We did. We <laughs> did. Uh, we, we did. a. No, it's fine. We it got confusing there for a little bit for folks because we uh, put together a, a uh, uh, a rough cut to show people and uh, I knew going into that night that it was going to be a train wreck and turns out it was um, and uh, yeah it was horrible um, couldn't find my way and uh, and so right now uh, the 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 main story of the film has been put into somebody else's hands to try to bring that all together and then mm -hmm. I'm taking that main story and 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 pulling it open a little bit to put in the clinical, medical, gotcha. theological, blah blah blah, experiential parts into it okay. too, to to tie it all together. Yeah, to complement or to juxtapose what was just said. And um, okay, you know, I I don't want this to go away because we we're talking about drugs, and I'm literally drinking coffee physically drinking coffee uh, our drug so choice. when we talk about drugs you know and then i yeah. while ago you didn't see it but i was holding up you know i got this little nicotine gum because uh you know i don't smoke anymore but uh nicotine so you know those two drugs are somehow just fine yeah. just fine yeah Right. But yeah, yeah, so we're working, we're doing a re-edit on the film and uh, we're basically taking one main story, looking at that as the example and mm -hmm. then um, peppering in a lot of other experiences throughout. Um, okay. And I always tell people, this is not a film about drug use. This is not a film about addiction. This is not a film about overdose. This is not a film about overdose awareness. Um, it's a film about the stigma against all that stuff I just mentioned. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so actually what you're helping us do, if I might put it so simply, is you're going to help us better try and better understand those around us who have an addiction. And I think we all have addiction. I'm just going to say that. Okay. Whether it's coffee or too much exercise, too much work. I mean, addictions, as we know, come... Yeah, they're not just compartmentalized into drugs, alcohol, and pornography. Okay, so right. if we if we think that's the case, we are really lied to ourselves. But what I see what you're doing is you're it's a beautiful attempt, a creative attempt to not only educate our communities, but to also uh, help us to love each other well or better. Yeah, and I think that's ultimately ultimately what we have to be willing to look at uh, would be, you know, films like this will, 
bring empathy, hopefully, and education and challenge us to love each other better or love each other well. And that's the bottom line. I don't I care what so. religion you come from. I think so. I, I think I, I agree with that. I mean, you know, I mean, just to use an example, I grew up in Missouri um, uh, out in the country um, and I knew one black kid. I knew one black guy in my junior high. Um, I grew was that up because in, of the um, size small town. Was it a small? Yeah. Was it Springfield? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Not a lot of, not a lot of, uh, not a lot of black people hanging out uh, yeah. in my area, right? Yeah. So why do I say that? Well, I say that to say, um, as a product of that, I grew up not understanding people what didn't look like me, and I didn't put a lot of effort into trying to. Yeah. Um, now, inside of that as well, um, I had to come to a realization that, like it or not, um, I had some pretty racist thoughts about some things. Um, I'm not a guy that says I'm not a racist. I'm a guy that says, no, I'm still racist. I'm just trying to get it out as quick as I can when I find it. Um, I'm a product of a lot of that going back a long way. Just my views. I'm not trying to get anybody to agree with me. Right. Just my views. Right. Well, the first part, the first part of the equation is I got to realize that there's a problem, right? And yeah. then I can work. Absolutely. The so yeah. I, 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 my, my biggest hope, I think, for people watching this documentary as it relates to stigmatizing views toward people with, with addiction is I'm hoping that I can just bring them into a place where they can go, you know what? I do have a little bit of that. I yeah, do feel absolutely. a little need to put right. shame on people because right. if they can at least acknowledge it, then right. they can start working on it on their own pace. Absolutely. I'm not yeah. going to beat somebody over the head with something and convince them that I'm right and they're wrong. So yeah. I need it doesn't them, work anyway. I tried to skip. I just need them to feel the comfort yeah. and ease that comes with yeah. going, you know what? Maybe I do have some stuff I need to work yeah. on. Yeah. So uh, hopefully opening up conversations or the like you said, the first step is to realize, you know what, or at least consider, I might have a problem. Like yeah, you did when you assessed your own addiction to alcohol. Right. Like, you know, I might have a problem. Because I remember your sentence exactly was when you heard the guy say, uh, y'all talking about beers in the fridge. And you, oh, yeah. the guy said about a couple of two, uh, two beers. A couple of beers, yeah, a couple of beers in the fridge just really pissed me off. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm pissed like, me off. And you're like, ding, yeah. ding, ding. Yeah. yeah. And so um, I'm just, I'm, uh, I'm so, without sounding like a mom on this one, okay? So I'm very proud of the work that you're doing. It's amazing. It's to be, you know, admired from a creative standpoint. And um, uh, it's, you know, obviously, uh, at least for this, seems to be, you know, your purpose in life besides being a, a husband. Um, you know, your purpose and what you're were designed to do. We're grateful for that still. And uh, your willingness to dive into the deep end of the pool, as you say. Um, so let's wrap, we'll wrap it up. Uh, when do you see this? Do you have a projected date for the release of the film or is that still in the woods? I mean, you know, average lifespan of any documentary to be made is five years. 
Okay. Uh, I'm really trying to go quicker than that because um, I've got the footage and I've got the stuff. Um, I'd really like to. I'd really like to have a new rough cut done uh, by the end of the year, okay. so that I can do another screening and show folks, and then just kind ah. of get some particulars worked out. Um, Love it. The first screening was just to 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 verify that I was way off base. And, and I knew that going in, and I explained that to everyone going in. Um, this screening would be something more of, hey, uh, I feel like we're close, but where are we missing something? And then, um, and then we can get it uh, into the hands of somebody that can do the color correction and uh, put all the music in exactly the right places and stuff like that. So I, I've got to be a little loosey-goosey with my answer, but... Uh, no, it's quite I, all right. I need it to get out there because the conversation's got to get started. Um, yeah. We got to talk about it. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> and the other thing, how are we on money? Tell me. Show me the yeah. money. Yeah. Well, how, you know, I know you probably still need to raise funds for this. Where are y'all standing on that? Yeah, we're still a, a, a rough ball game. We've, we've been we've been sitting at the exact same dollar amount for quite a while. I redid the numbers the other day, actually, because at this point I'm like, all right, so we're clearly not able to take that mountain. So what do I got to do to re <laughs> ship and re rework? Um, yeah. Our original budget was one hundred fifty thousand dollars. We've raised seventy five. OK. All right. There you go. All right. And I know there is a um, nonprofit in town that takes in the funding for that. Can mm -hmm. you share with our viewers what that is? And I will add it into. Um, yeah, yeah. The uh, the, company, the the organization is called Second Chance Sober Living, and um, the uh, the founder of that is uh, one of the people that uh, directly helped me uh, in my recovery. Still does to this day. Okay. Um, and they uh, they do a lot of great work. Um, and um, if you go to if you go to uh, ten twenty eight dot or ten twenty eight film dot com slash donate, it'll take you straight to their page. So our okay. website, we've got a uh, a link to their uh, <clears throat> their uh, PayPal where you can uh, put money. Okay. In. Because I know. On, because I know that if you go to directly to their website, you have to do the little drop-down box and tell them designate the donation. Yeah, well, I would you. still, I'd still like you to do that either way. Um, yeah. I don't think we've got it. I don't think we're smart enough to figure out how to do that. So I think either way, it's still going to need the okay. drop-down. Right. <clears throat> gotcha. Well, I appreciate this, oh, Martha. Oh, you're, you are a dear soul, and I know you're working with some of the best. I, I know David Hampton, and he was vital in our, my family's journey in sobriety, <clears throat> and was my worship director at uh, Christ Community, and so I, I know him through those facets. Cindy Blom um, was on the front end of when I came to Franklin, and so, um, and helped me work through some things, and handed me all these wonderful resources this is before her son eric died as a result of an overdose and so um a lot of what i've learned is also from just hearing cindy's story so you're in good company i know that as as are they so um skip 
thank you for your time so very much. We're excited about the film. Uh, keep us you know, posted as to how we can help. And again, thank you to all my viewers that this is um, this edition, Healing Moments with Martha. And uh, have a wonderful day. And God bless.